welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, we have another awesome guest joining us today. Everyone listening, please welcome Daniel all the way from Tampa. Daniel, how's it going today? Good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. We're excited. So, Daniel, what gets you excited about life? <laughs> um, last year, I retired from the corporate world at 49, so I retired early. And the way I did that was my investing and my trading. And I utilized the collapse in the market in order to compress my time frame. I mean, I've been doing that for 12 years, but it's something I love. When I get up in the morning, I guess there's many ways that the market is addicting, but I've also learned to find some balance in that. And I say this on my Twitter channel, that life happens outside of the screen, not in front of it. But I love the concept of just being able to have a level of freedom. I've always felt that way. It's the number one thing that drives me. And where that starts is by having financial freedom, because without it, you don't get the rest of it. That's what gets me excited. So every day I get up, I'm adding to that ability to maintain it. That's awesome. Congratulations, first of all. And what do you think makes freedom so important? I mean, we can have a giant history lesson, but let's just look at the last two years. You know, the people that have arguably the hardest time of things is the people without choices. And whether you agree with policies or mandates or not is sort of irrelevant. If you look at what's being said, you have to do X in order to get Y. That doesn't leave you with a whole lot of room for you to make your own choice in between no matter how they couch it in whatever language. To me, my sort of byline is live anywhere, leave anything. That starts with financial freedom. And that's how I define freedom. I can live anywhere and I can leave anything. During the last 24 months, I never stopped traveling. I went back and forth across the Canada-US border multiple, multiple times. I've been to Slovakia, I've been to Czech Republic, been to Austria, I've been to Mexico. My ability to be free and just do stuff was directly related to my ability to afford it and my ability to walk away from my corporate career and have a life that I wanted started with being able to afford it. My ability to enjoy my hobbies, I'm a car collector, again, starts with my ability to afford it. Even the things I want to do with my fiance and the things we got for the future, and they don't have to be expensive things. I'm not trying to say that. It's about the freedom to make the choices unencumbered by anyone else's wishes and the ability to even have an income level that isn't dependent on what someone else thinks of you. You're totally in control. You don't ask anything from anybody. You don't expect anything from anybody. You're totally in control. Daniel, do you mind me asking? So here's a bit of a background. I call myself the most non-car guy, car guy. So Cal and I met at a car dealership and I think we both have aspirations for a car collection. So do you have a personal favorite in your stable, if you don't mind sharing? I've loved American muscle cars. I was a little kid. Actually, when the pandemic started and we shut down the border between Canada and the US, I was in the process of purchasing a 1971 Hemi Cuda, which was my dream car since I was nine years old. Long story short, I lost the contract for it, lost my deposit on it because I couldn't get to go see the car and you know test it and all that other stuff because all the rules were just up in the air at that point. So I ended up with my plan B car and turns out that I just fell in love with it. 
mean, I've owned Porsches, I've driven Lamborghinis, I've owned multiple Land Rover Defenders. I even owned a U.S. Army Humvee. I love cars. I absolutely do. But my favorite will likely always be my favorite is my Challenger Hellcat. It's just 700 horsepower of pure muscle. Yeah, there's something special about the Hellcat. So we sell Acuras. That's where I work. So we don't get too many domestics, but we had one traded in and I was just grinning ear to ear. What a load of fun. And, you know, I think they're quite reasonable. You're not spending a quarter million dollars on it. And it's just absolutely awesome. I love it. Yeah, I just want to say I'm a big fan myself. I actually started liking Japanese cars and then actually moved to American Muscle. My personal favorite is the 1970 Chevelle SS with the 454 big block. But the Cuda is just on another level. It's just something absolutely stunning. I love it. And I think the Hellcat personally is the best iteration of what a modern muscle car should be. And the amount of joy that you can get if you can quantify joy with something like that is perhaps beyond anything that's on sale today. So I get it. I definitely get it. Oh, yeah. It's addicting. It really is. I've taken Huracans on a racetrack and they're fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking them in any shape or form, but I couldn't wait to get back in my Hellcat. There's just something, I don't know if it's just um, American muscle cars, it's sort of less about that high end. It's more about that low end torque that they all just seem to have. I mean, even last night, my fiance and I were for dinner at to the shooter. And I guess I just hit the gas a little much. The whole ass end of the car went out sideways a good seven feet and big grin ear to ear on my face because I just love the thing. I'm just grinning just here. And I'm sure John's the same way. Oh, totally. And I remember, yeah, there's a special key to unlock the horsepower and you know, it's a special thing. And I think Cal has this saying, drive a slow car fast as opposed to a fast car slow. And you get into this whole question of hypercars and Tesla and zero to sixties. And I always say that every car has its own personality. So, I mean, one of my favorite moments, it was an old Toyota, nineties Toyota. I bought for $500 just owning my own car and being proud of it. I think there's something special to that. And at the time I have no money to even repair it, but you know, you try and wash it and you try and detail it. And I remember using, which apparently is really wrong, is that Canadian tire armor all, all over the leather. It starts cracking over time and then basically ruined. But, you know, you try and take pride in your things. So it's a great analogy for life, which is it's not about having more than someone. It's about appreciating what you have. And, and when you're an enthusiast and you enjoy and you're a collector, you know, no one can take that from you. It's rolling pieces of artwork. And Everyone's on their own journey, but I think the ultimate thing is just if you can do it and the underlying question is always why not? So why can't you enjoy it? Why can't you travel? Why can't you escape the corporate world? So was that always a dream of yours? You had the dream car at nine. When did it first hit you, Daniel, that you wanted to stop doing things for other people and take control of your life? I had been working on it for a few years prior to when I actually pulled the trigger. So I actually had a countdown timer on my phone because I had a specific date in mind. I've always been driven by objectives. I talk about this in my Twitter channel as well. If you need a plan, the best way is kind of work backwards from whatever the goal may be. What have you got today? What's the distance in between? And how are you going to fill that in order to make up whatever time frame that you're after? And I had that. Then, you know, the market took a complete dump in March 2020. Actually, I was caught in back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings. At the time, I was the VP of Corporate Operations Enablement and meetings constantly. So I couldn't get to my accounts. And in the space of just a few hours, I had lost 400 grand. By the time I got there, I'm like, holy crap, what do I do? How do I get through this? And it just dawned on me that, well, hold on, 
this is actually a big giant opportunity. So I made the money back in a few weeks. And then as soon as I did, I handed in my resignation because I had already been built things up in the background. So I was swing trading. I'm a longtime value investor and I already built it up so that I was making more outside my job than I was inside my job. Just saying a lot. I was, I was at a VP level. But when I said, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger because I need to pick a lane. And I chose me. I had done the corporate thing, traveling around the world, fixing other companies, doing this type of stuff, which sounds really good when you're in their 20s. And it's fun. And I learned a lot. And I've seen most of the planet. But I needed to step away from that and just do what it is that I actually enjoyed. And this was it. So when the whole collapse came, I realized it was an opportunity to completely collapse my time frame. So I hit my countdown timer goal very, very quickly. I collapsed that to a matter of months and handed in my resignation and said, I'm picking me. And I haven't looked back since. That is awesome. Congratulations, first off. And I think there's something really powerful about taking the reins and saying, I'm going to choose my own direction. And you've had a very interesting life. You've seen a lot. So for some of our listeners out there, I'm sure there's people of all walks of life who want to improve their lives. And you have to hit certain milestones, of course, to be able to fully leave your job. Can we talk about that? So anything from sustainable lifestyle to is there a magic number, you know, where you live? I guess there's so many variables. Do you have like a methodology or how do you like to think about this whole idea of financial freedom? So I define it, like I said, as being able to live anywhere and leave anything. So what do you need for that becomes the next question. And you don't actually need a big pile of money. What you need is the income you require consistently and being able to access that income from anywhere. And I don't want to plug my course, but the latest one that I produced actually goes through that. And I wrote it for that purpose because I value freedom. I don't discount it in any way. To me, it's the most important thing in the world. And that starts with being able to make your own decisions go where you want, do what you want, and live the life that you want. And I used to have that thought when I was younger, you know, hey, that means I got to have this big pot of cash and, you know, I need to do this, that, and the other thing. And it became very clear to me over time that you actually don't. What you do need is the consistency of the income you require and absolute control over that income. So it's not hit by market forces or somebody else's opinion of you or just other things outside of sort of your 10 fingers and two hands and two legs kind of thing. And what I've developed is a way to do that where people can make consistent money every single day, doesn't matter where they are, and a simple way of doing it. When I created it and I did it over time, obviously I was the guinea pig first. But when I built the course, I actually tested the material on people who had never traded before, before I ever released it. They were all able to make money. And to me, that's the most powerful thing because what it does, it hands people freedom. Right? And I talk about this on my Twitter channel. It doesn't have to start with two grand a day or something like that, because probably your expenses aren't two grand a day. And depending on where you are in the world, probably much less. And in fact, it doesn't even need to be a, hey, I'm going to leave my job type position. I mean, if you just sort of take a step back and you do the math in North America, whether it's US or Canada, your average salary, depending on the source of the info, it's somewhere around the 55K mark. If somebody makes $100 a day and there's 250 trading days, typically in a year, I say you're probably realistically going to trade for maybe 200, 220 of those. If you even make $100 a day, you just gave yourself a 50% raise. And that covers things like 
you know, I want to send my kid to a better school. I want to have help with my mortgage payment. You know, I've got a sick parent that I need to be able to help look after. It just relieves so much of those day-to-day stresses most people feel. And then if you go, okay, well, if you can get $100 a day consistently, do you think it's really that hard for you to go to 200 a day or 300 a day? Because the method doesn't change. Just what you're doing about it changes. And very quickly, you get to an income replacement level in which now you have real choices, things that you can go sit down and say, hey, what do I want to do? What are the things that I value? Where do I want to be? We consider some of the rules that have taken over a lot of countries, some way more draconian than others. I mean, here in Florida, everything's optional. Besides my fiance, there's a key reason I was drawn to Florida. They value freedom and they don't try and hinge on it. So for me, that becomes a location. And it doesn't have to be that. It can be whatever you value personally. Maybe it's to be closer to family. Maybe it's to live in South America, go explore, whatever it may be. But that freedom starts with how do you have the income to pay for the things you want? And you don't necessarily need a giant pile of money. You just need that income consistently and be able to access it from anywhere you want to be. Yeah, it's totally cool. Plug anything you want, because I think part of what we do here is talk about ideas to grow and improve. And it's not zero sum where one person wins and one person loses. By you handing the keys to freedom, most business runs on margin and income and all these kinds of things. So there's nothing wrong with it. And I will totally plug your Twitter and your courses and all that. And I've got a couple mantras. So like one is be curious about the world. Like how do you even know what you enjoy if you don't go out and explore? And number two, I always believe in finding good mentors. So if someone listening resonates with the things you're saying and they want to follow and they want to really dive in, become a super fan and absorb everything. You never know where that's going to go. So this is the beauty of the internet, which number one is being able to have these spontaneous conversations around the world is massive. So you seem very principled when it comes to your beliefs and you stand for things. So I always say that about the internet, which is like, imagine our lives without the internet, without being able to grow and learn and besides making money, just that connection and the ability to listen to others and be a content creator or to be a trader and just buy your own freedom, buy a fulfilling life, even if it's not about money, like freedom of time and freedom of choice. I think you hit the nail of the head is super, super important. So go for it. And is this your best version of yourself because of the internet? Like I think I am for sure. Without this, I have no clue what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't be these conversations. Is part of the recipe, the secret sauce of, you know, someone being able to take control of their life because of mobile brokerages and trading apps? Like, do you think there's some truth to that? It's an enabler. I'm old enough to remember the world before the internet. So what I do now wouldn't be possible without a whole bunch of other paperwork and my ability to share. I post on my Twitter account all the time in reviews where people say, hey, look, I bought Learn to Fish Part 2, and I'm doing this, and for the first time, I'm making money consistent. I'm able to do this, that, and the other thing. I love that stuff, because sharing my knowledge doesn't cost me anything, right? I mean, I've learned this stuff over years. I know it consistently works, and if I can have that available to others, if they choose to use it, great, because I, I, I love seeing that it changed their life, and it changed their trajectory. I mean, there's a guy the other day, he thanked me and Chris Johnson. He said, after following you guys and doing what it is that you put out in your courses, I went from 20K to 1 million. 
there's a guy, I think his handle is flipping pennies. He's been doing about 600 bucks a day, which people don't do the math. They go, okay, well, it's 600 bucks a day. That's not life-changing. Well, really? Because you start adding that up. If he's able to get very consistent, he starts to make two, three grand a week. For many people, that's a really high paying job compared to what they can get out into the employment marketplace. So it is life changing because not only is he getting paid on a tax adjusted basis somewhere around 150 grand a year, he can take it anywhere. If he wants to go live in Ecuador and pay $1,200 a month to live really, really well, what he does with the rest of the money is up to him. My point is, it's providing freedom for people. All they got to do is grab it because I've simplified this down. And I started with Learn to Fish 1, which was basically an intro course. It touched on day trading, touched on swing trading, touched on value investing, got everybody started. Part two went just into day trading. I have part three coming out soon. It's just on swing trading. Part four will come out at the end of the year and it's on value investing. All of this kind of comes from experience. I remember 2008, 2009, we had the recession and everything. That's when I fired my financial advisor. Most financial advisors, there's just no other way to put it. It's just crap. They can't really react well to the market. I was seeing that and I just took it over. I just took it away from them. I fired them. And my background in what I did meant I understood financials. I had to understand enough because I would fly around the world and I'd either fix parts of our business or our customer's business or even the government's business in order to make everything more profitable. That meant I need to understand finance, I need to understand operations, I need to understand market dynamics, I need to understand marketing, I need to understand strategy. And I need to be able to put all of those things together to go, how does this company make money and how can I have them make more money? Well, that directly applies to things like value investing, where you have to be able to say, okay, what's a company actually worth? Is there a catalyst coming up? And what would that be? How are they actually being managed? So if I can put a value to that, a numerical value that says, okay, well, the company is worth 30 bucks a share, and they're currently on sale for 15 bucks a share. I'm all over that. That's a huge bargain that I can quantify. And it's what helped me build a lot of that wealth. And then as I went through that process, and I realized I could shrink those concepts into day trading and swing trading. And now with the market as volatile as it is, I actually refer to day trading as the safest form of trading you can do, which I know flies in the face of what everybody says and what everybody hears and what everybody Googles. And there's a lot of bullshit out there, excuse my language, but it's true. And the reality is day trading is safe because it puts you in control. And if you're following a system that works consistently, like mine, where you're constantly pulling in from the bottom, which is a value investing concept. So you're constantly buying something that is on sale and selling it at a premium, you'll be safe and you'll make money every single day. Yeah, let's talk about that because I think Cal's more of the J trader, I would say. He's thrown a stat around something like nine out of 10 traders lose money. It's the same with things like entrepreneurship, how 80, 90% of companies don't succeed yet there's the allure of being crazy enough and passionate enough to want to succeed. And there was that YouTube video from like 15 years ago where it was like, hey, I want to be successful. And the speech was, okay, meet me at the beach. And then, you know, the guy holds the guy's head underwater and says, what are you doing? And I can't breathe. And the line was, when you want to be as successful as you want to breathe in this moment, that's when you're going to be successful. I like how you said, you know, a lot of advice is basically terrible because people read headlines, people think they can capture the essence of something by reading, you know, second and third order sources. So I don't bother with news myself, go to the source, I listen to earnings calls and things like that. And 
that's the way I get insight into companies and see where the CEO's mind's at and what their plans are, because an article won't necessarily capture that. And, you know, as a car guy, how often do you hear, oh, manuals in cars are terrible because you're stuck in traffic? And people say that when they've never even driven manuals. So advice is always not personalized. It might not be right for you. So I like that you're contrarian and that you have, you know, a perspective because I think number one, just because something's untrue for everyone else in the world doesn't mean it's not true for you. Like you could have a unique source of truth that is good and helps your life. And I think this is why you're able to unplug and, you know, do things your own way. But number two, the fact that you can teach others and copy and paste the model and take someone off the street and help them be better, I think is awesome. So what is it about day trading that people miss? If you want to you know, sum it in a couple of bullet points. Why is it that there's so much bad advice out there? I have my website launching soon. I actually wrote a blog on this, on sort of why day trading has a touchier reputation than gas station sushi. And I think it's because, honestly, people don't ask why. I mean, to your point, right? People read the headline, their friends agree with something, they hear something over and over, and they just assume it's true. And they never actually ask a critical question. Why? So, I did the same thing when I started day trading. You know, if you Google how to day trade, you're inundated with a few things. One is some terrible, terrible stats where the only 1% of all traders are actually profitable. Okay, well, the first question in my mind wasn't, holy crap, that's terrible. My first question in my mind was, why is that? Stocks go up and down every single day. You know, there's tens of thousands of tickers traded at any given moment. They're all moving up and down. Why can't somebody consistently profit from that? That's sort of question number one. And then as I dug in and you go, okay, well, how to day trade? And you start digging into the methods that are promoted by either large financial sites, banking institutions, you know, large trading sites, this type of thing. And it's complete garbage. It breaks down on a logical level. So they, they advocate things like, well, don't commit any more than some very small percentage of your account to any one particular trade, you know, set hard stops and all this other crap. And that all sounds good on the surface. It sounds logical. But break that down. You know, let's say you have a $10,000 account, just to pick a number. And by their logic, I'm supposed to only invest a certain amount into multiple different positions in order to, quote unquote, spread my risk. The reality is you're increasing your risk. So if I spread that out into eight positions, the chances of me getting eight winners, doesn't matter how good you are, pretty much zero. What will likely happen is you'll get three winners, three losers, and a couple that break even. So now you got to net that out. And because you started with a small amount of capital in each position to begin with, any gains that you got from any of those winners, likely immaterial. But now you got to net it out against your losses and the ones that did nothing. If I had a goal, you know, back to the point I made of, hey, I want to go in, I want to make 100 bucks a day, chances are you missed it. And now you got to go back in and repeat those trading. And the reality is the more you trade, the more risk you're taking on. The more you diversify in the short term, the more risk you're taking on. What I advocate is complete opposite of what everyone tells you to do. And I've proven that it works. If I have that same $10,000 account, I will pick one to two positions. And I never trade at any time more than one or two things at a time. Never. I don't believe in diversification. I think it's complete bullshit. I think it's a perfect way to not maximize your gains. But if I take my $10,000 and I put it into something selling for $9.90 a share, and I need that to get to 10 bucks. That means I need that to move less than 1%. And I make my goal. And I can come in and I can come out. 
So now the question becomes, well, how do I find that point? What is it that happens? So I just focused on the problem like I would any other problem in my career. I mean, when I was sent in to fix a company, it doesn't mean I knew anything about the company or their industry. It was by looking through it, understanding it, and then asking the why questions to go, okay, well, what actually drives this here? Why are they not successful? And then focus in on those parts. Same thing with trading. What I found was there is a way to come in at the bottom, an understanding of where it happens consistently to be able to pinpoint it regardless of the industry, whether it's an OTC market, it's any of the big boards, or even crypto, the market forces remain the same. And if you can do that, and you can do that consistently, then you should be able to ride that up, make that 10 cents in our 990 trade to 10 bucks, and exit out with your profit and get on with your day. Because I realized the more that you trade, the more risk you take on. The less that you trade, the more you keep for yourself. Now it becomes, well, how do I get the right trade at the right time? And this is not about timing the market. That's also something I believe is bullshit. But what I do believe is that there is a point where you can get in and you can recognize it and it's consistent. And I show that not just on my Twitter channel, but in Learn to Fish Part 2. This is where the bottom is. This is how to identify it. This is how to use the multiple timeframes to confirm it. And this is how you can use it every single day, regardless of the stock you're trading, in order to win. I personally agree with your methods. If anything, I started off with investing long term and then eventually moved to day trading. I backed off a bit now just because my idea of how I'm taking certain positions have been more of a swing trade position. But when it comes to day trading, I actually do agree with you. I think that there's a reason why these patterns keep working. I personally only get into position if multiple things are met. For example, there's a reason for it to move. There is a certain pattern that shows the psychological behavior of other traders and of the sentiment towards the certain stock that it's going to maybe break out, for example, to a certain level. So I would get into position and exit at a certain price. And I think this is where the weakness is when they say that most of the traders fail is because a lot of people, first of all, they'll quit too quickly. Some of them will trade emotionally. And once you master those stuff and you stick to your plan, that really can be all that you need to get to where you want. Exactly. I have that in my course where you, know, you have all these things that go wrong and how to fix them. There's two pages just devoted to behavioral issues. Because I always say the big challenge is not the market, it's not the stock, it's not shorts, it's not any of that stuff. It's the person in the mirror. That's going to be your biggest challenge. I just agree. Because like you said, it is absolutely the emotional aspect. And I think that's Perhaps whether you're you know, a novice trader just starting off trying to make a few dollars here and there, or you even work at a trading desk at a bank. I think when it comes to emotions, that is the most difficult thing. And people mm -hmm. sometimes downplay that. If you control that and you're able to stick to your plan, and that's what I believe is like you mentioned in your courses, you're able to spot certain patterns, certain tops and bottoms. You know when to take profit. And sometimes I think there could be some greed a lot of people can think, okay, well, my entry is at $9.90. If I get to $10, I hit my goal. I personally come from the school of if I hit my target for the day, I either exit and just stop because like you said, there's a life beyond the computer screen. Or if it's really moving, I would maybe exit half and then exit slightly higher just to keep my averages for those days that will be a bit lower. But there was a time that I would literally watch the screens from market open market close. It's a bit easier for me, obviously, because I 
work during the day. So the US market opens in the afternoon here. So I'd be back home from work. And then I would just watch the screens all the way till bedtime. And that could be very exhausting. And obviously, it would not really result in anything in the long term. I love what you're saying, because this is really what people are missing. And you don't find many people out there who would say those things. Yeah. So I've always had a call it rebellious streak or whatever. But to me, since I was a kid, if something is a very popular opinion, I automatically view it with suspicion. I automatically think something's wrong with it. There has to be. Because getting that many people to agree to it, that sounds more like groupthink than any sort of critical thinking. My first thing is always go, well, why? Why is that? And what I found is the method that I've come up with not only works for day trading, but it makes you a better swing trader. You can directly apply those, just changing the time frames. You can see that on my Twitter channel, the calls I make on swings, they virtually all hit within the time frames that I say. You see them coming using the same sort of recognition that I use in day trading. I just extend the time frames. And to me, it also makes you a better value investor. I can quantify what a company is worth. I know how to do that. And oftentimes, that's sort of the start. And I don't know how many times I've met value investors sort of look down on day traders, they look down on technical analysis, they look down on charts. And I go, well, why would you purposely not use a tool in your toolbox? That was sort of my thought. And I use an analogy in one of my blog posts on the new website that'll get launched here this week. Imagine you go and you want a particular item and it's on sale. So you rush in and you buy it because, hey, it's on sale. You've always wanted this thing. It's a good sale. It's 25, 30% off and you're all happy. What if you knew that it was going to be 50% off next week? What if you could see that in advance? As value investors, we kind of do the first thing. We look at it. We say, okay, well, it's worth 50 bucks and it's on sale for 30 bucks. We go, okay, that meets our margin of safety. That's a good deal. And it is. Let's take some and you know, we'll ride the ups and downs until it gets to its $50 valuation. That's typically how value investing works in a nutshell. But if you can go, hey, well, if I can actually get it for 25, come back to the principles of value investing, which is to maximize my potential for upside and minimize my potential for downside by having that margin of safety. So the wider that margin of safety becomes, the better. And by combining what I've come up with for my system for day trading and swing trading, with those value investing principles that's still you know, doing those fundamental analysis and all that, I can change that entry point and I can see that it's going to become 50% off in the future. And I can hold off or plan my positioning differently. So again, my risk of downside becomes absolutely as low as I can take it, you know, barring any black swan events or, or this type of thing. And my potential for upside now is absolutely maximized. So combining the two, I'll write about this in the next two courses. I mean, the Learn to Fish Part 3 is already under construction, but I've touched on it both in the blog and as well as the new ebook that's coming out that you can use it for everything. And having that combination is actually really, really powerful. It all comes back to the same thing, the central concept of freedom. The only way you're free is if you, no one else, is in control. That's a scary thing for a lot of people. It sounds good on the surface, but it's a scary thing because the flip side of that is you don't expect anything from anyone else. You expect all of those forces to work against you. So you still have to be able to arm yourself to protect that freedom. And I don't mean that in a militant way. It means in the things that you are doing and how it is you control that stuff. So by giving yourself that system to be able to not only recognize a bargain is being had, to be able to be confident in it, despite what the noise is in the market, gives you an advantage that very few have. To be able to think through that stuff. I mean, last year, with all of the push for greenness and green policies and all that. I'm the only one who months ago said, well, what that's really going to do 
is it's going to push up oil prices. You get called every name in the book on discords and everything else because well nobody else is saying this and you know how can that be and you know oil's dead and sure enough oil prices went up. And the reality is you could see that coming a mile away because while the policies are in place, the world is powered by oil and gas. Everything from the bottle that your pills come in to the phones that we're talking on to the laptop, like all of this stuff comes from oil and gas. And the policies themselves are great, but getting them in place is not tomorrow. Energy transfer is one that I pushed. They control about a third of the pipeline infrastructure of the U.S. Literally a third of the U.S. doesn't get to turn on their lights without them. I'm sorry, that's not going to get replaced by a windmill tomorrow. It's just not. And as these policies come into play, and we reduce domestic supply because, again, of policy decisions rather than just reality. And we start importing more, which is exactly what happened, exactly what I predicted would happen. The price of oil goes up. This is just economics 101 of supply and demand. So I got in position because I could see those things coming. So by arming people, you know, not just how to day trade, but how to think about things differently. I always say if it's news or everybody else is following it, you're already too late. You're way too late for that position. And again, I'm kind of wired that way. I've, ever since I was a kid, if something is popular, I automatically assume something's wrong with it. Right on. And you had mentioned that you'll take one or two positions max for a day trade. When it comes to you know seeing the future and saying, okay, oil is going to go up, can we talk a bit about how large of a position size of your portfolio you'd use? So Will you swing trade more than two positions and will you do like 50% of your capital on two trades or will you allocate a third for day trading, a third for swings and a third for long-term value investing? Do you have any kind of theory or preference behind that? So if I believe in something fully, I have no problem putting 50 to 75% of my entire portfolio value into it. I walk the walk. Don't just talk about it. Nordstrom is a good example of that. I mean, I day trade that one every single day. You can see that you know, on my Twitter channel, it pays me daily, probably to the tune of 20 or 30K a week, just day trading it. But if you think about last year, it was trading around 11 bucks. And when I did a sum of the parts valuation, which again, I encourage people to learn this stuff because most financial advisors don't know this stuff. Most financial advisors, they're salespeople. And if you're trusting your financial future to salespeople, good luck to you. It's on you to learn this stuff because it's your money and no one else cares more about your money than you. When I did a sum of the parts valuation of Nordstrom last year when it's trading around $11 range, I've come up with about 40 bucks. Huge discount. So I poured a giant portion of my portfolio. I had one trade, that one. I walked out with about 600 grand out of that as it went up. And I continue to go in and out of Nordy in multiple different ways, either as a swing. It's recently hit you know, the $26 range and swinging that up into the 30s. But I also day trade it along the way. And it's, again, it's just recognizing what something is worth and then using that ability, not just to be able to quantify that, but what I teach people in the learn to fish courses is also combining that with how do you tell that it's the bottom? How do you minimize your risk of downside? And then how do you trade that successfully? Go in and out. I mean, when I bought Nordy the first time, every headline was retail is dead and everything is going to e-commerce and this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, well, that's just bullshit. People love Nordstrom because it's higher-end retailer. They can go in, they can touch things, try them on, even tell their friends, hey, I bought this at Nordstrom. There's a certain panache to that. And that wasn't going to be replaced by going to Amazon and buying a coat. I just said, that's just bullshit. And just some of the parts of what they were doing. So they reduced their stores to reduce their expenses. 
their e-commerce portion of their business had a net promoter score that was absolutely industry leading, just world-class. And they were starting to get to more earnings with a smaller footprint. So translate what that actually means. So it means, how am I running my business? So I've got less places for cash to come in, yet I'm more profitable, which means what I'm doing in the business is I'm reducing costs in the middle. That's just simply good management. That to me is a great indicator. Because when you learn to read financials, it shouldn't be about, oh, well, you know, my balance sheet is this and my net asset value is that. It's a great starting point. But I think my background in taking apart companies or businesses and putting them all back together again means I'm able to translate those numbers into how are you actually running the business? What are the things that are good? What are the things that are weak? And how do you spot that stuff? And I just apply that to what I do in the stock market. It's no different. When I look at Nordstrom and I could ignore the noise, because again, it just gives you that power to ignore the noise. But the whole world is saying retail is dead. No, it isn't. It's just bullshit. It was the same thing with cruise lines and airlines. When all the first collapse happened, I went in, I bought them because, well, to think we have a world where we'll simply never go on cruises anymore. Yeah, no. Or we won't go to a casino or we won't fly on an airplane anymore. It's just garbage. So again, at those bottoms, I rode those up. I went in with large positions. And I still believe coming out into the future, the world as we know it now with all those restrictions and everything else, simply not sustainable. Anybody who flies in the Toronto airport, it has to go through all the just crap that they got in order to be able to get through there and you know get your luggage and get out. None of that is sustainable. It's just not. Eventually, the world comes back to, hey, I'm going to go stay in a hotel. I'm going to go travel to fill in the blank. And I'm going to go on vacation. Those things will come back. So I'm constantly looking at where money will be. And if I'm confident about the position, I have no problem dedicating most of my portfolio to it. Right on. That's good. And I guess it's called an investment thesis. And you know, you summed it up pretty well, which is take control of your money, take control of your life. And you know, I always like to say no one will write you a check for missed opportunities. So if you miss a half a million dollar trade or your life's not going how you want it, you only have yourself to blame. And I think it comes from that accountability of being able to use your background and experience. And I find this is a very common theme. So people who come on often draw from their experience. And for people listening, I would encourage you to do the same, which is how can you use your unique skills, background, insight to make smarter decisions and to push yourself forward? It's almost like we have everything at our fingertips. We just have to be more resourceful, more aware, and then tie in all that into following people like yourself who have unique insights and who can take 20 years of experience and distill it into one or two small things to push people in the right direction. Then it's up to them. So kudos to you. I think that's awesome. Just want to thank you so much for coming on in the last hour. It's been a really cool chat. We'd love to follow along, you know, as you release your part three, four ebooks, all that good stuff. So make sure you keep in touch and we'd love to have you back on the show in a year's time and see what's new with everything. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been my first podcast, completely painless. So I love that. And it's been a great conversation. I love the questions. I'm happy to answer anything. And, you know, if there's anything follow up on for either yourself or anyone listening, just grab me on Twitter. I'm usually really responsive. If I miss something, it's simply because I missed it, but I try to get to everybody as soon as I can. Awesome. For everyone listening, where can people find you? What's your Twitter handle and website and all that good stuff? So on Twitter, I am invest and be free. 
I seem to have a lot of copycat accounts for some reason, but it's invest and be free. My website will come out. It is liveanywhereleaveanything.com. Because again, that concept of freedom, it's central to everything I do. And the only way you do that is empower yourself to be totally in control. Daniel, thanks. You've been great. And for your first podcast, I got to say you're a natural. It's been great having you. Very informative content here. And we'd love to have you back on in the future. I'd love to join you guys again. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks again. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.